Welcome to Talking Chalk with Jamie and Goody, a podcast about your team in your fantasy baseball keeper league and all the drama, triumph, and failure that goes into it. In this episode, Goody and I will begin to preview the 2021 pre-draft team rankings, including trades, keeper selections, rookies, and team outlooks for the season. Who's first? Who's last? And where the hell does Pat rank? All that coming up. How's it going, Goody? Great. We're doing well. I uh, I survived COVID, uh, and everything's good, and I'm I'm ready for a full baseball season. Yeah, man, it should be uh, interesting this year. Hopefully, there's less bullshit going on uh, baseball wise. Like everyone was in the IR, and like the Marlins didn't play for two months last year. <laughs> but that was stupid. I just hope yeah, it's normal this year. We exactly. We we're, it's we're we're headed for as normal as possible of the season as as we could expect. Yeah, should be good though. Uh, any general thoughts on coming into this year? Ben won. What the fuck? Uh, uh, so I, we'll get into Ben's team as we go into it. <laughs> I find it hilarious that Ben's juggernaut team ran out to the races in the full season and then fell apart. And then in the short season, I think you kind of uh, predicted this a little bit. In the short season, it was in Ben's favor, and he actually did get over. Yeah, two years ago, Ben, like you said, just ran ran out and then just ran out of steam. Last year felt like a sprint more than anything. Like it felt like a uh, one of those uh, football pick them like the survivor leagues where like you just had to hit every single week because I, I yep. lost one or two weeks early and I was just out of it because yeah, there was no yeah. time to catch up. And I was in a similar scenario. It was a totally different year of like, obviously, I, I was stacked with so much capital and players and all that, but I had a little bit of bad luck. And then I found myself selling really quickly just to be like, okay, I need to make the best of a bad situation. And then it was like, oh shit, I'm still in this. I need to go back and buy now. Like, <laughs> it was, it was a very unique season. In addition to what you're saying, the Cardinals shut down, the Marlins shut down. You know, it was, it was a very unique season. But I, it was, it was fun in a way, and I'm glad we were able to make it work with divisions and all of that. Yeah, I think that was interesting and, and fun twist to it. Uh, at the very least, I. I really like my division. I think if we do that sometime in the future uh, again, I think that'd be that'd be fun. Uh, but yeah, Ben Ben won. We'll get to his team uh, not for a while since I think <laughs> we're starting Ben's, from the bottom. Ben's juggernaut team. Yeah, it was good again. Shit. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's start at the very bottom. I should mention that I sent you these uh, rankings based off of the prep work that I usually do every season, where I put together values for every team, every free agent, every draftee. Uh, and then put that all together. Brendan is actually our lowest valued team, but that's primarily because he traded away two keepers in trades. Which, uh, which I think is an interesting discussion in itself to kind of bring up that strategy. Yes. So Brendan comes in at a value of $123. So to give some context, the average value once everybody drafts their team should be about $260. And Brendan is like less than half of that. Whereas most teams... Uh, are much more than that. Uh, now he does have a, a, a pretty decent amount of extra draft capital, uh, but I know you were you and I were both involved in trades for with him. Uh, yeah. So obviously we have opinions. I'm sure we both like the trade that we made with him, or else we wouldn't have. Otherwise, we wouldn't have done it. Right. Yep. Right. So it might be a little unfair for the two of us to judge that. But why don't you talk a little bit about your trade with Brendan? Okay. So I I know going back to last year, Brendan. I don't think Brendan has totally ever been totally high on DJ LeMayhew. I think 
that speaks to a lot of people in our league, people who don't believe this late breakout, that kind of thing. And he's getting older. He's not a big power hitter. He's not sexy. Brendan, before he was kind of making a run last year, talked about selling DJ LeMayhew anyway, before his, he had an even bigger year than he had the year before. So he had reached out to me. He said, hey, I've been trying to move LeMayhew. Nobody's that interested. And I said, well, hey, if let me know before I have picks, I'll definitely give you picks if you don't get what you like. He got some feedback, didn't get what he liked. I said, I'll give you a one and a two. He said, okay, deal. So that's, that's exactly how that went out. And, yeah. and I get it from his perspective. I get why people don't like DJ LeMayhew. DJ LeMayhew is the type of player I really like. I, I have a tendency to like guys that don't strike out, that can hit for average, even though Pat says average doesn't matter in this league. I like that kind of consistency. I especially love his multi-position eligibility. That's, yeah, so underrated. It's so underrated, uh, but I also understand like Halski, who I've texted about this deal, doesn't think LeMahieu's really worth that much. A lot of people don't. You get a player who's over his 30s, who doesn't hit home runs, doesn't hit steal bases. It's unsexy in this league, and it's the kind of thing that's undervalued in our league that personally I, I love to target. So it was it worked out well for me from that side. Yeah, I had LeMahieu as a, a top 25 player. I had him as one of Brendan's two best players uh, before these trades. So yeah, the fact that he was available was surprising to me. I did my best to make you pay for it a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so I'm happy the way that that worked out. But yeah, multi-position flexibility is really good. You know, you go into the draft saying, I need second, short, third, and then he takes care of like either second or, or third for you. And you just, you roll with it as the draft gets going. Exactly. Uh, the other thing, I mean, I hate to disagree with Pat right from the get-go, but like batting 300 these days, it's just so rare. It's, it's like the equivalent of hitting like 40 home runs. Like a lot of guys hit 30 home runs, but very few hit 40. And like, that's the difference between batting 300 versus like 280 or 270 these days. Exactly. No, I, I agree. I think, I think the, and the other thing people totally ignore is that it's not just average as a stat in our category of our weekly thing, but OPS is half average, right? You know, like it, it cause it's in the slugging and the, and the on-base component. And so I always think that type of thing is overrated. And like you said, the good average hitters have become even more rare. And if you couldn't tell from the way my team is built up, I kind of target that a little bit because I think it's a valuable commodity, but so yeah, Brent. people like people like Pat will say, Oh, week to week is so volatile head to head average doesn't matter. I, I, I don't agree with that. I get the, some people will say that, but I, I think it's an underrated commodity. Yeah. Agree. Agree. So Brendan got draft capital back. It's hard to, uh, you know, compare that to a player and, and, necessarily. And the, and the interesting thing with Brandon was he got stuck in such a hard situation of he had such a good team last year that got unlucky in terms of the way the standing shaked out the short season that he was trying to buy to get in and compete, but ended up with less draft capital. So now he's kind of chasing back some a little bit. Yeah. And he gets rid of a guy who's over 30. Uh, he got rid of a guy over 30 in the trade with me as well and gets something to help reinvent his team, I guess. When he was yeah. involved with all these trades, as well as the one that didn't happen, the Flaherty for Pete Alonzo trade, yep. I start to question, like, the guy's trading four of his eight keepers. Like, does he just not like his team? <laughs> and he's, I texted him about that, and he's like, oh, I just I just wanted to try something new. Like, hasn't this guy ever heard of one-year leagues? So, so one thing I got to give a lot of credit to Brennan for is, one, you know, a lot of people in this league are scared to make moves. And it, for a lot of reasons, you know, just a lot of reasons people are. 
but I like that he's willing to gamble and kind of make bets on guys and kind of shake things up. Um, I, I think he, he has a decent uh, building idea in his head, but I, you know, I, I think he's just other than most than more other managers, he's willing to just kind of, Hey, I'm willing to make a bet on this guy. And I don't care if it, if it blows up wrong. I, I, this is what I think. I have noticed that. And I think that's a good attribute. You just don't want to take it so far that it turns into like wheel spinning. Like a lot exactly. of managers, are, which you know, we'll get into later. I think. Yeah. There's going to be <laughs> a few people we talk about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but one thing to, and kind of segueing into that, like I, I get his Pete Alonso idea and it, unfortunately Javier getting hurt kind of blew that deal up. And that was smart of Brendan to say, Hey, I, I, I don't have enough pitching to make that work, but I think of him doing it. What's all interesting in all this. And I'm going to ask you in the end about the Riamuto idea, um, his Mankata trade, I, I think it was an interesting kind of Mankata. I think a year ago was a, was probably untouchable in his breakout year, a 20, you know, a 23, 24 year old is going to run a little bit, has exciting power and potential entering the prime. He has a bad short season. I like that Brendan is, is kind of striking on that a little bit of saying, Hey, I'm going to bet on the, the talent here and the upside. Now he paid full price, I think to do it. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe duty just wanted to sell out so to speak, but uh, but I, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting move for him. I think Brennan definitely in all of this wanted to go a little bit younger, wanted to go more exciting, wanted to go more power in all of these moves of getting rid of DJ LeMay, who trying to trade for Pete Alonzo and then ending up trading for Mancata. Yep. Mancata, definitely the name value compared to Biggio though. Biggio is a legacy. Like the projection systems don't really care for Biggio. Like they have him batting like 230. Uh, and mm-hmm. I know Mancata has like contact issues, but a lot of these guys, if you just hold on to them for like two or three years, and they, if you're willing to hold on to them through their struggles, they can emerge as, you know, Mankata, I think, has more star potential than Biggio does. For sure. Like Biggio can be your seventh or eighth best keeper, and you feel good about that. Mankata could be like a top four keeper. So I think, you know, if he's looking for that. In yeah. his best, in his best outcome. Correct, obviously. correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was uh, that was interesting, and then the Real Mudo deal again. Real Mudo is an older player, so I can see Brennan trying to get rid of him uh, there again. He ranked very highly on my uh, my values, especially. And, and, and to be fair, full disclosure, I mean, this is a guy I don't think Brennan was going to keep unless you traded for him. So yeah, so that that was interesting as well because uh, I had the I had the sixth overall pick, and I saw Real Mudo out there, and I was like, gosh, can I can I get him at six? He's he was my highest. Uh, rated player who was going to be available. And I thought to myself, I, at first I was trying to trade for the first or second pick. And then I was like, why don't just, I just go straight to Brandon straight to the source, baby. (laughs) And I I basically just had to give up my sixth overall pick and then a fifth and seventh. And I got like a 10th and 11th back. So yeah, yeah, you guys, you guys swapped what was kind of negligible value, but some, some little bit of sugar. I ensured what I got, what I wanted, uh, I could get. And then he obviously didn't care that much for JT real Mudo if he was going to drop him anyway. So he got a ton of draft capital. And, and, and I, and I think from his perspective, so obviously you, you liked Rio Muto more than him. I, I don't agree with you. I don't like Rio Muto as much as I think you do. Um, maybe compared to everybody else. It's just kind of catchers. Just kind of the way they get hurt. Rio Muto has already been hurt again this year, just like he was hurt in the short season last year. He's on kind of that wrong side of the age curve a little bit, yeah. but but when he is fully healthy, I get it. He is by far and away the best at his position in a, in a very rare thing. So I, I get the value side of it a little bit. I just, uh, catcher scared me off a little bit. So I wouldn't have valued him as much. And I think from Brendan owning him, he probably felt that way. And he would rather have a shot at 
somebody else that he could get with a decently high pick. Yeah. Catcher is just such a dumpster fire this year. There's like three guys that you feel good about. And then maybe like another three that you feel like you'll take a gamble on. And then yeah. it's just like the back half of catchers, like the bottom seven teams are just going to be streaming catchers or hoping for a Mitch Garver, like phenomenal one year thing. Like, so I just like, let's just lock in catcher and not have to worry about it. And, 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 and I, and I, I definitely get that strategy from your standpoint, but I definitely get why I think Brendan, after having Rio Mutu for a couple of years, was just kind of like, I'm, I'm done with this. <laughs> so yeah, Brendan again, returns Torres, uh, Castellanos, Tucker, Flaherty, Lynn, and then he's going to have Mankata. Um, and, and, and he has it. So he has obviously the lowest ranked roster. I think it's interesting that he, you know, he has some interesting young pieces like Flaherty. Flaherty could be a really good young pitcher. He's, he's already proven himself to be pretty good. Torres is another guy. You know, I, I just think a lot of these guys, it's like they've, none of them have really broken through to be this elite player yet, but they have, he has some, what could be interesting building blocks. Yeah, I mean, Tucker has the speed power and combo. Tucker's the most interesting, definitely. <laughs> most of the projection systems have him batting like 260 or 270, though. Like, that's a guy, if he's going to be a top 10 player, has to bat 290 plus. And like, we'll, we'll see if he can get there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think a lot of the value in the projection system from him is the fact that he hits in the Astros lineup and he it should run some too. You know, Flaherty is going to be a top 15 pitcher, hopefully this year. Lynn should be a good, a good guy for a year or two, though. He's 34. Um, yeah. So, but I, I like Lynn pretty well. But again, Brendan having traded two keepers is just at the, the bottom of the list. Uh, surprisingly. Yeah, it's kill the value. Obviously, in any of our projection systems, we value keepers like Riamutu and LeMayhew. They're guys that would go number one no matter what you would think in our draft. So obviously, when you're trading back for draft capital in, in these kind of projection systems, you're losing value. And he's got a, a really exciting rookie in CJ Abrams that in two or three years might be, you know, that, that type I, of superstar. I do, I do really like Abrams. So if, I, I definitely agree with you there. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think he could be a Trey Turner. Right. Right. So anything more on Brendan? Um, uh, no, I, I, I think it's, he's kind of, it's funny that we spent so much time talking about it, but it's really because he was the center of all of the, the trades and just either the two big trades that did happen and the trade that didn't happen. That was big. I mean, he really was a headline grabber so far this off season. Yeah. And yours was a three-way trade. So he's, he's really made four trades. Uh, yeah. One didn't happen. So <laughs> yep. yeah. Next on the list uh, is Josh. Oh the, man, Perry. <laughs> the third year in a row. I should mention uh, Brendan's average keeper age is 27, which is kind of middle of the uh, the road, sort of yeah, on the young I side. I think Lynn, Lynn drives that up a lot though. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. he's got the fourth youngest keeper set, which is you know pretty good if you're trying to reinvent yourself. Yeah. Uh, Josh has the third youngest, which is fine for him, but three years in a row, Josh has ended in last place. I'm very interested to see what Ben's going to name his team this year because it came, became quite difficult for me. I'm glad I didn't so win this year. I, I, do have, I do have inside information okay. on that. I'll, uh, for the purpose of the podcast, I'll save it and I'll tell you on the side. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely interested in that. So it's yeah, a good one. Ben did a good job. Good. I'll just say that. Jo Josh has a value of $135 or so. Uh, Josh did not add a ton of draft capital. Yeah, you know, it's not like he sold or did a ton of uh, it's, wheeling. It's not and like what was it a year or two ago? He actually right. did do a good job of that, and it's and that's the biggest thing I say. Perry, like he's one. It's it's one thing to finish last multiple years in this league, which is frankly pathetic. But it's also worse to not actually do anything about that. I feel like Perry is just kind of sitting. 
My, my one note for Josh was don't spend more time discussing his team than he will spend managing his team this year. So <laughs> let's not go too long on Josh. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. But, I, so the, yeah, the, obviously three years were in last um, two interesting points. I think with him is one it's like, so, and here's one thing I don't know if you're as aware of Housky, for instance, reached out trying to see if he could get Stanton from Perry and he offered up, Syndergaard straight up. And I thought that was an interesting trade because I would think if I was Perry, I'd be tired of Stanton. Like I think a lot of guys are of, of for different players. And it's like, then you're just kind of looking, what can I pair my problem for your problem? Just like Halski's tired of Syndergaard. I thought that would have been an interesting, but Perry being as stubborn as he is was just no way I'm not giving up Stanton. Yeah. And I think, I don't think you would ever trade Stanton just because of the way he is. I used to make annual tr trade offers for Stanton. And I think yeah. no matter what, he views Stanton as that top 10 player. And he's all, already traded Mike Trout. He's already made a bunch of somewhat bad moves in this league. The last thing he needs is to trade away Stanton for him to have a three-year streak where he's the MVP twice. And then exactly. you, all, you all give him more <laughs> shit for that trade. So I think he's just holding on, holding on. He, he had six of the same keepers this year that he had last year. He basically only swapped in Freed and Soroka and swapped out Fran Mill Reyes and Robbie Ray. So that's like, that's not much progress. Uh, At least he finally let go of Robbie Ray because it's been a couple of years with Robbie Ray. So I'm glad that's over with. And like once King Felix died, this man's pitching just like went to hell and just has and never recovered. And that's a whole other thing. So, you know, I, I've talked with this about Mook a little bit. Uh, we've talked about Perry's team. His offense actually hasn't been that bad. He's been, you know, either a better than average offense or an average offense. The problem is when you're playing Perry week to week, these last three, and I'm talking about the last three years that he's finished last, Perry has given you pretty much six categories because he's never drafted closers. He's never had a pitching staff. And so he immediately is giving you six categories most weeks. Right. Barely has middle relievers or any of those other things that you fine tune your pitching staff to be able to compete. He's just giving yep. all that up. Yep, exactly. And, and that's one of the reasons why he's finished last, but it's also just, it is it, just why his team has just been bad. <laughs> so rookie wise, Wander Franco, I think he's just waiting for a Vlad junior Wander Franco to be top Break five out. players. And like, so we'll be here for another three or four years before that, you know, actually and, that, and that's the thing it's like is this or is that when is basically we're kind of in the when does vlad break out when does wander get called up and establish himself as a major leaguer but i i still go back to until perry finally builds any kind of pitching staff then he's probably just going to keep finishing last when i did reach out to him about trading for the number one pick I, I asked him who he was thinking of taking and he said oh he wasn't going to think about that until keepers were locked in so here's a guy who's had the number one pick he knows that for seven months and he's not, not even he's not even thinking about who to take until keepers are locked in. Like I get some people change their mind sometimes, but yeah, like, yeah, you, but you gotta have, have an like, idea of who you'd like. Right. Two or three guys, but no. So the planning started yesterday, if if it even did. If that, yeah. Uh, so, it's just so disappointing. Very disappointing. For a guy who, to give him credit, has won this league twice. That was I think that was all pawn lunches. And I'm becoming more and more convinced of that, Ian. His, I, you know, the, uh, the sample size grows and you're starting to have some validity to that. The other rookie he has is Nick magical <laughs> who I just looked at his season last year when he batted three forty. Nick magical in 29 games had three extra base hits. He had three doubles, He's, no so triples, no home he runs. Is, he is Nick magical is white Billy Hamilton, right? <laughs> white Juan Pierre. Maybe like, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You could say that too. Billy Hamilton hit two thirty. Like, uh, 
I think Madrigal is going to hit 280. He's just going to do it with zero home runs. Yeah. And there's a big uh, difference between 12 home runs and zero home runs. And, and you want to know what the real shame is at all this? So, you know, there's the everybody's talking about the Vanderbilt pitchers who are going to be available in the waiver. And obviously, probably Randy's going to go number one and all that, not getting all that analysis. But like Perry is going to still end up with the sitting on the waiver with Madrigal of getting the last pick of the two Vandy pitchers, probably. Yeah. Which, hey, if Jack Leiter falls to him, good for him. But yeah. So yeah, Josh's team, not showing a lot of promise. Hopefully Ben can pick a great name to somehow motivate him, but I, he I don't will. Know. And the most exciting thing about Perry's team is Wander Franco, but I don't think it changes the needle. Cause like we said, until he gets pitching, he's, he's fucking treading water. Right. All right. So moving and I'll, on. I'll try to, re- I'll try to remove the F-bombs. You can bleep them out if you like. <laughs> yeah. This is a PG, uh, PG show. Uh, next up is Trevor which was a surprise to me when I was putting this together. Trevor has the oldest keeper set at an that, average age of 33. So, so that did surprise me a little bit. But then when I saw the number, it didn't surprise me. Like at first it was like, huh? And then it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Because you so, think about, he's had the same guys forever, like Carrasco and Granke and obviously Strasburg's aging now. And even like Jose Abreu and Goldschmidt, who he traded for me for a couple of years ago. It's just this, this aging roster. So yeah, my my intro to this, if I was going to write it up, was what do you get when you take four pitchers on the wrong side of 30, two Tommy John survivors, one a cancer survivor, <laughs> one with a severe social anxiety disorder, and who is married to a crazy cat lady? You get Trevor's pitching, ta- pitching staff. To be fair, though, Emily Granke is a babe. She is, I just she gotta make is sure. a babe. But if you have all that money, Ian, can't you find a babe that isn't crazy? I mean, I know everyone's a little crazy in their own way, but I, as, as a former Zach Greinke owner who has followed his career closely, apparently Emily Greinke has been instrumental to him overcoming anxiety, which I, so I just got to throw that out there. I respect her. And Greinke is a cool, interesting dude. I just draw the line when you put the cat <laughs> in the stroller and you walk the cat. <laughs> that's where I draw the line. So yeah, cancer survivor, Tommy Johns. At first I forgot about Zach Wheeler's Tommy John. And then I was like, I got to find something on Zach Wheeler. Oh, yeah. Tommy John, easy. Easy, yeah. Uh, and, and my thing, and I've also, so I, I, it's funny. I've owned a lot of the players that Trevor has kept right now. I realize right. I've, I've owned and kept Zach Wheeler. Strasburg. Uh, Strasburg, Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt of all the run through. Uh, Wheeler is another one of those guys. I don't know. He a phenomenal fastball. I watch him pitch. He can be very efficient. All of that. You just don't. The problem is, is he can't break into that real top ten of starting pitchers because he doesn't throw anything that's off speed. His slider is shit. He he has probably one of the best fastballs in baseball, and he could just pump them and blow them away. But he he really doesn't. I, I'm surprised he's been able to be this good with one pitch. But it goes to speak is how good his fastball really is. And when he's on his best, he can throw, you know, seven, eight innings and do that kind of stuff. And he's a good pitcher, but he's just not an elite guy. But the thing is, that is the strength of Trevor's team that I think that has continued to drive him through all these years where he's not had the the high end talent, so to speak, or like the stars, which we always say drives this league is that he's had depth in that pitching. He's had a bunch of kind of top 25 starters like Wheeler, like Granke, you know, Carrasco, you know, Strasburg kind of mixing in in there and that Strasburg's probably a little bit higher end, but doesn't give you the full workload. That's kind of the way he's done it. That's been his bread and butter kind of. 
Yeah, don't get me wrong. You know, I'd take any of those guys on my team, not to like yeah, talk oh, yeah, them too, 100%, too bad. Yeah. It's just they don't provide the value that like a 25-year-old Bieber or somebody like that does. So like he's keeping yep. four top 30 guys instead of like a top 10 guy and two top 30 guys. So it's just a lower ceiling on some of those guys. And, 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 the, and on the other side, on his hitting side, he's got guys who are definitely past their peak, but are still good hitters. Goldschmidt, Turner, you know, Abreu. All, and I think it's the same thing as pitching staff. I think it's most interesting to some of his team is they're all guys that we've all seen their peak production. They're all still probably good players. But then on the flip side, he has, I think, two of the most exciting prospects. Now, Adele was forced up into playing last year, and his numbers right. reflected that. He should have probably been in AAA last year. But I, if you would have asked me last year who was the most valuable minor leaguer I, or asset in this league, Adele would have been really high on that list to me. Yeah, and, probably two or think, three. Yeah, and I think Torkelson, excuse me, right now is in that same kind of place of value of a young hitter and all of that. So it's it's interesting. Trevor has guys on each end of the spectrum. Yeah, I was uh, I was curious about some of his keeper decisions, keeping Turner over uh, like he had Randy Rosarina, right? He couldn't keep a Rosarina because he picked him up in the oh, playoffs. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. makes that, a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Trevor, when I was looking at his offense, has the classic Trevor, like first baseman and third baseman. Like I think back to like the Pujols, A-Rod, Longoria days. Where it's like he's always the cor- been the Nifkin. The corner guys, yeah. Yeah, Miguel Cabrera. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's when he had two firsts and two uh, third basemen every single year. Yeah. Sp- the, the last thing I will say, just kind of summing up Trevor's team, and like obviously he'll need the development of the prospect guys, but, you know, for his long-term health, so to speak, but – the guy we have this me and you have had this conversation every single year he has this fading team and he somehow drags it through to the playoffs now it's something that i've done a lot with teams too but trevor has i give him even more credit than i have he has continued to drag this shit yeah, he, dra- <laughs> he drags worse teams uh you know into the playoffs every year and then you know not with a dead count bounce, but like with a lucky week or two, he can get to the finals. Yeah, um, yeah. And, just, and he got to the championship last year in a short season. Yeah. And I, you know, I give him credit for that, but then he got smashed by Ben's team that was just way better than him. So like Trevor's definitely a top two or three like manager. Like, oh yeah. Thinking about like a, an MLB the week team. The week to week. The week right. to week. Yeah, the management, like the day-to-day. Like he basically plays fantasy daily or daily fantasy baseball in our league, yeah, I, which yep. is why we have to limit the moves or else he would just, you know, go crazy. <laughs> Not that you it's and why, I would he, he thinks we're shutting him down, by right. the way, by doing right. this. Right. Uh, and that's true to, to a degree because some of these guys would make no moves. Uh, yeah. But yeah. But in terms of like general manager, like where is he? Is he? I know he's top two or three like day to day managing. But like at what point do you turn over and like springboard to the future? No, I, I agree. I think so. I wouldn't discount him too much on his general managing. I get like you know, he sees an opportunity, goes for it. That's my mindset. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, yeah. if, if the year's bouncing your way and I can do this, I'm going to go for it. And he understands the value of winning all of that. He's won one before and all that. But I, I agree. Even I, at this point, I would have said, all right, it's time to, it's time to kind of shut this thing down a little bit and, and, and retool. And it, it should be noted that we talk about some of the draft pick capital people do have Trevor traded away more draft pick capital last year than anybody else. Uh, so he's coming in with a, a pretty light, uh, set of draft picks, uh, more so than again, pretty much anybody, but speed is, was right there with him. Yeah. Um, and, and speed obviously had a good reason to go for it too. 
right? Ben surprisingly didn't give up too much. He gave up his first, but like not usually the winners of this league give up like first, third, fifth, seventh, like yeah, yeah. give up a bunch. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we'll see what Trevor can do with his limited picks. And uh, I, I will I'll, say, I'll say though, man, I, I, I'm not counting him off to snag a sixth playoff seed this year. No, I think Trevor could be in the playoffs any year he wants to, but like you said, at what point, like, do you keep getting smashed by these juggernauts, like the Bens? And I think like a few teams have that potential this year or in any single given year, like speed, I think could rise uh, to that point this year. And like, if Trevor goes up against speed in the championship, like how does he compete with some of those superstars? Yeah, eventually it's like, you can only beat, you can only have so many lucky weeks of beating the juggernauts that right. it's just, you're, they're so stacked against you that you're asking yourself to beat those teams three times. Basically. I will say, I agree with you with, with Adele and Torkelson. They're both, probably the exact people that you'd want. If I was in Trevor's position, I'll say my prediction for Adele is he comes up and struggles for two months. And then he is on Evan's team in exchange for some boat <laughs> boatload of, uh, good, good know. segue to Evan's team, by the way, it's, it's hilarious. The, uh, the brothers Johnston, the Royal family, or as you call them, the spoiled family are the two, both oldest teams. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So Evan comes in at 31.3 years, a whole, a full year and a half. Uh, below Trevor, but yeah, again, the 13th uh, oldest or the second oldest, I should say, uh, and the 11th highest in terms of value at a $147. Uh, now he does have some extra draft capital. He made some deals this year, but Evan's team, I look at this team and it's just like a bunch of guys who three years ago were on top of the world and they're not anymore. Evan's, Evan's gone, as I say it, Evan's gone in two cycles in that like he had a really good team when this team started in the old Carlos Lee, who then became Carcass Lee a couple <laughs> years into it. And Evan aged all the way down. And then it's like, all of a sudden, Evan got, you know, Arenado, Charlie Blackman, Jose Altuve, Jose Fernandez, rest in peace. Right. Uh, and his team all of a sudden was up and was dominant. Obviously, he won a championship. And then it's like, Evan's now, the last couple of years, has been just kind of trending a little bit more down, down that eight-year you're first they get old, then they suck, then they die age curve. I'm so glad you remember that because I was definitely going to bring it up if you didn't. <laughs> I'm going to get that tattooed somewhere. So what are, what are the smartest things you ever said? Right. So yeah, it's so surprising to me like what the projection systems think of some of these guys. Like Jose Altuve is, has a $6 value on my uh, my rankings. That's, like, lo- that's pretty low. It is insane because you know three years ago, he was hitting 19 home runs, stealing 50 bases but while batting 300 like from second base that's stellar like top 10 top 15 and then suddenly the, the stolen bases are gone like but what the hell unfortunately that's the thing that ages the quickest is once you're feeling banged up or you got a sore hamstring or whatever you're not running like that that thing is just like a light switch that goes on or off and i st- i'm still surprised his value is that low because he's still a heck of an average hitter you know i've, I've just watched him live enough to know he is that kind of hitter and he's still hitting at the top or of or in the you know a good position of a very very good lineup yeah that, i think the projection has him for like 19 home runs seven stolen bases batting 270 like it, it's just not good yeah, enough I, so so i i think that's undervalued i i think he's better than a 270, than a 270 hitter the trash can's gone in <laughs> that <laughs> It, all the Astros might you know, drop that's 20 true. points in batting average. Yeah, yeah, that is that is true. Uh, but yeah, no, the, the, him losing the speed, and he's a guy that's never had a ton of power. So I, I, I get that being down. I think the projections are a little too down on him. 
uh, I don't think it's enough to matter. I think, I think he's better than a $7 player. If, you know, you know, if he was for sale for that type of thing, I'd be buying it definitely. But right. uh, because I, like I said, I think he's actually, he is a legitimately good average hitter and all of that, but he's not enough to move the needle. And at the same point, Evan's got guys who are dying off of, you know, Charlie Blackman, another guy who's a really good average hitter uh, kind of going down. 34. Arenado, yep. Arenado leaving Coors Field. You don't know how that has an effect. Um, you know, Whit Merrifield is has been that awesome kind of 2020 type player who hits for a decent average. But I, how old is he at this point? Is he is he in his 32? 32. Yeah. Evan has so, no one in his 20s. Trevor has one guy in his 20s. Yeah. So it's just kind of he's kind of on that curve, and is his team his team although used to be one of the best when all of these guys were all in their prime. He's kept them all together and it's just kind of aging down a little bit. Yeah. And I always, you know, Evan's one of those guys who maybe I don't think is like the best day-to-day manager, but like he put together a solid team. He kept he it going really for did. like, and it, and I, I can't give him enough credit. I mean, Arenado, Blackman, Whit Merrifield, when I think not everybody really valued him the way that he should have, uh, or yeah. that we should have, you know, like, it, uh, I feel like he's, he's had like Kyle Hendricks, Patrick Corbin, like he's just, he's done a really good job of building this. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago looking like shit, Evan has a fucking awesome team. When he had you Darvish and, and uh, Jose Fernandez, that was like yeah. scary. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was. I, so, I mean, I lost, I lost a championship to him. I know. <laughs> we should compliment Evan on appealing uh, Ozuna. That was off of Brendan, right? That was that was a very that was a savvy move. I I do agree with that. Uh, so so yeah, I think yeah, Ozuna's his top ranked player, like uh, pretty yeah. substantially. Um, yeah, he had a big uh, breakout last year. That and and the same point, I get that deal from Brendan's. It's it's hard to count keepers at the end of the year, by the way, especially in a shortened year that we had. But like, I get from Brendan's perspective, he had Teoscar Hernandez or Nick Castellonis, and those guys are all the same as Ozuna, kind of. And, and Trevor, or excuse me, Evan's pretty similar to a lot of teams in this league where he's got some decent starting pitchers, like Sonny Gray could be top 15, Hendricks could be top 20, top 25, but no like ace. Like it's hard to compare no to ace, like the yeah. top five. And he's yeah. got Patrick Corbin, who might be Patrick Corpsen. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Hey, as a Nats fan, I still believe. Right. So yeah, I mean, two years ago, Corbin was like top 20 pitch, pitcher, but now he's like maybe in the 30s. So yeah. I don't know. I think but Evan, it's, a, it's all the question of what you're getting from him. Yeah. I think Evan could benefit from like the dead cat bounce, like with Altuve and Blackman and Corbin have those years. Like he could spring right back into a playoff spot kind of for a year or two, maybe, but like eventually That's he needs a plan. Be. And the other thing is that right now it's like, he needs all of those guys over the age of 30 to have the bounce back. And that just gets into the probability of that's, that's not likely. That That's a great point. As I was thinking about Evan's team, I, I, had uh, fake arguments in my head with Evan where he'd be like, Oh, Altuve is going to be great. He's going to do this or that. And Blackman's going to do great this or that. But the thing is like, all those things can't hit at once. Like, yeah, yeah. Somebody's like, going to do well. Gonna happen, but, and you should then sell them off to Trevor. Like we said, for Joe Adele. <laughs> right. but like, but, uh, yeah. but that's yeah. Who's, who's getting traded for Joe Adele. It's going to be sunny gray uh, <laughs> and a, a second round pick. That's what's going to happen. I, I, I think a lot more than that. I think what's going to go, I think there's going to be like two or three players going over from Evan that are the, the, the three guys that dead cat bounce right. are going to, to then head to Trevor's team for Joe Adele and Trevor will drag another team to the semifinals or championship. Likely, likely. Who's uh who's Evan got in his rookie slots? 
Uh, that's a good question. I got to pull up the, so I know he's had, I think Michael Kopech. Kopech, yeah. And Mackenzie Gore. So I, so I think he's dropping Kopech. You think so? Okay. So I, he's a guy that I wasn't sure was if he's going to take a guy in the rookie round or not. I, I would, I don't, I don't particularly like either of his rookies, to be honest, like Kopech obviously held through, you know, the injuries that he's had. Mackenzie Gore, I think is a very unknown because Obviously, we don't know a lot about the minor league season last year. They called up the Padres called up Patino and they didn't call up Gore last year. And I've I've heard to, I'm very tuned into the Padres because I, you know, I have Paddock and Cronenworth and all that. So I follow their kind of beat reporters and all that. Like apparently the word is that people find it really weird that Mackenzie Gore was not used at all last year by them, whether it was in bullpen or whatever. So I, I don't know what to know from him, uh, to be honest, but I know scouts like him. Yeah, I think Kopech's going to be up this year, and I'm not even sure if he's going to be all that useful, but like you could probably throw him back and redraft him. I might keep Gore for like another season just because, like you mentioned, last year with no minors, it's like, it's what do we even know about card. anybody? Yeah, like, yeah, what do we know? Yeah. I enjoy watching the minors, you know, box scores more than I watch, watch the major box scores. Like, yeah. that's more fun. So last year was brutal. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he should probably make a pick. And uh, I got quite a few people making picks, hopefully. At least that's my opinion, but. Yeah, and know, that's, just... that's a whole other discussion. My thing is I think only at the end of the day, four teams make picks, but we'll see. Okay. All right. So anything else on Evan or the Brothers uh, no, Royale? I, the Brothers Royale. Uh, I, I, Evan does a great job as commissioner. I very, I respect that uh, he does all the administration during the draft of, of updating our lists. Yeah, the fact, the fact that he does that almost near real time uh, I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. So we got to give him a big shout out for that. Yeah. Great job, Evan. <laughs> Doing well. Doing great. Trying to sell mortgages to everyone. Uh, <laughs> next up is Bill. So Bill, Bill is, yeah. Uh, the fifth lowest. Bill has an average age. He's kind of in the middle, uh, 27.8. Uh, and he has $156 worth of value. So that the 10th highest keeper set and he does have a little surplus value in terms of, of picks this year he was able to sell some last year um my my overall assessment of bill is i i think bill has done some great jobs i mean i remember in the original expansion draft um i he got garrett cole which was a home run he then in his first draft drafted aaron judge in like the 14th round that was a home run you know he he's gotten he hit a pretty much home run on a on a rookie pick of keston hura you know, he's drafted Austin Meadows. He's done some things like all of these individual things. You say like, oh, these are great moves. He did a great job with them, but it hasn't all added up in that he's been in the league for, I think, three, four years now. And he hasn't made the playoffs. He hasn't made noise yet. So for me, it's like, hey, like I, individually, I still think I'm like, man, Bill's made a bunch of little individual great moves, but it, it all hasn't added up to anything yet. Yeah. Looking at all Bill's keepers, like you would take any of these guys. Like yep. obviously the top, it's very top heavy with Cole, Rendon and Judge. Like I used to view Bill as the guy who had one great hitter, one great pitcher in Judge and Cole. And then Rendon obviously has really blossomed in the last few years. But then like his fifth through eighth keepers, like Matt Olson, Meadows, Hura, Lamette, Gurriel, like you would take those guys on your team, hopefully as like your seventh or eighth keeper. He just yeah. has five of those guys. So like exactly, none of them are yeah. bad. And, and like like Guriel, Guriel and and Meadows and Olsen stick out as that of like they're kind of guys that it's like, oh yeah, like the, the you know I could see them being your friend, you know your your last keeper or your first round pick, but it's like 
he like you said, he's got three of those guys. And like Gurriel stuck out as that. And like when he said he's keeping Gurriel, I'm like, I, Gurriel's an interesting player, but it's like, uh, I didn't know he was a keeper, you know. <laughs> Gurriel's interesting because last year, in, going into last year's draft, like I had him as a guy, like I was interested in, like, okay, if he gets to the eighth or ninth round, like I'll, I'll take a flyer on him. Uh, Bill took him Another in the multi position guy, too. Bill took him in the fourth round, which like to yeah. me was, was like really early. So, like, that was actually a signal to me that maybe the league was like growing a little bit. Like, guys were targeting like people that they really liked and making sure they got them. It could have been a reach, but like, obviously, he invested a fourth round pick in a guy who had an ADP of like 225 at the time. And I respect the hell out of that. He's done that in other years. So, same thing happened. I don't know if it was last year or the year before. I think it was probably the year before with both Domingo Santana draft and Jesse Winker. Guys I had targeted as like, I'll get later. And Bill was very aggressive about getting them. And it's like, hey, good for you. Like, I like them, but, you know, good for you to go and get them. Yeah, and it, you have to strike a balance between like getting them on your team, but not taking them so early that like you can't make a profit off them. Yeah, like, so yeah. I, no, I, I remember Pat five years ago took like Giolito in the second round <laughs> and he just had a stinker of a season. So like there's only so many, so many possibilities for a Luca, Lucas Giolito season that would yeah. be worth a second rounder. So you have to find that balance. But, but at the end of the day, I always say I encourage you because it's like, hey, this league's about planting flags on guys, you know? It is. It makes uh, preparing for the draft tough though when people are willing to reach like yeah. many, many rounds. Cause like I, I go in with my plan of, okay, this guy should be here around then. And then they get taken four, four rounds earlier and you're like, shit. Like, yeah. so it, it is interesting. We, we, that all, we, all go like back, that. we all go back when I took Tyson Ross and Housky didn't know who he was. <laughs> I, uh, Housky didn't know who uh, Mitch Haniger was when I drafted him. And <laughs> you're right, another one. Who? Had the all-time best season. Uh, now, it should be noted, even before Haniger uh, had a, a great first month and a half there, Housky then took him in a single-year league, like the week after, based on the fact that I took him. He so did, Housky's and I, I can me. vouch for that in my because I was in the one-year league with him, so I can back you up on that. <laughs> that's not a bad strategy. Just like if you yeah. or I ever claim a rookie, Someone else should probably take that person. Uh, quick side note, smartest thing Mook ever did. He didn't know. Not on Acuna. Yep. He did not know who Acuna <laughs> was, but he was smart to say, hey, if, if Goody's asking about him and Jamie's asking about him, then I want him. Yeah. So Bill has got a little bit of capital. He's got a, a team. Like he really needs to hit on like two or three guys that can take that next and, level and jump. I, I think. I think one of the biggest things about Bill is, and it's perfectly summed up right now in his team. Although, like I said, we broke down the, the three players that are like, you know, good players, but not bona fide keepers, but really it comes down on each side. You got, um, you got judge and you got Lamette. Both of those guys on a per game producing output are right up there with, with elite keepers, obviously, but how much are you going to get from either of them? I, I personally don't think Lamette is going to, uh, if, if you were to set an over under, I would say under 20 starts Lamette this year, that guy's arm is going to fall off personally. And judge obviously has a very long track record of not playing a full season on a per game basis. He's going to hit for power. He's in a great lineup. He's in a great ballpark. He's in all that, but how much are you getting from them? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Those are two guys that could take that next leap. And then looking at his bottom tier guys, like they're all 24, 26, 27, like Keston Hura and Austin Meadows could like take a little bit of a, uh, a jump, not to yep. superstar them, but like better than they're currently projected. So he could probably get value just with this straight keeper set, if he drafts well. It, it, exactly, yeah. It, he would obviously need to draft well, but also his team could be better if these guys just 
actually yeah. all stay healthy and play. And ho- homegrown talent because he's got a bunch of guys in their mid twenties. So it'll yep. be interesting to see what Austin Meadows becomes if he can, you know, bat two ninety or steal a few more bases, et cetera. So yeah, I think Bill's uh, got a solid group at least. Solid group, but I just like I said, I would just like to I. I want to see him finally take that next leap and join the party and, and make the playoffs, you know, and start, start competing with the big boys. Agree. You know, it's ever since we went to 14 teams, it's hard it's not, to make the playoffs. No, it's, it's not easy at all to make the playoffs in this league. And it's something I really like about our league. So I agree. Especially when you think like probably two or three of these teams, just based on their keeper set can like sleepwalk to the playoffs. So really you're competing for like two or three slots. Uh, yeah. And there's probably eight teams competing for those two or three slots. Like it's, it's intense. It's a, it's a dog fight. I love it. Uh, yep. <laughs> All right. Anything uh, else on Bill? No, nah, that, that, that's it for me. Uh, we're going to move on to probably one of our favorite managers to talk about. Oh, God. I'm just so glad I don't have to talk to this guy. Pat Lowry uh, coming in at number nine. <laughs> Pat has the third. By the way, I, I got to preface this really fast. So Pat gave us a projection system where earlier, like a couple of weeks ago at Pat, where he had the best team. So yeah, I, uh, I did notice that I, <laughs> I end up sort of to the top of these projections most of the time, but I never, ever tweak the projection so that that happens. I'm sure Pat is not counting average. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Joey Gallo, number one player, 50 home runs. Oh yeah. Uh, you, well, you just gotta, you, you just gotta extrapolate Gallo's, you know, 10 game sample size from this spring and, and you get to him hitting a hundred home runs. It's the, yeah, it's the bell curve. He'll explain yeah. it to you. I'm so yeah. glad I don't get that explanation anymore. But Pat is delusional, uh, which I think is probably one of his weaknesses as a manager. Is also I, I agree one of his strengths. <laughs> Jesus, I don't. <laughs> so yeah, Pat, uh, twenty nine and a half, the third oldest, the ninth highest rank value wise, one hundred sixty three dollars. Pat did give up some value last year, uh, I guess, to try to compete. And again, one of those delusional. Pat Amaro Jr. Uh, type moments. So he's coming. So, so before I go into the breakdown of Pat's team, I got a quick for this year going forward. I got to quickly talk about, like you said, he made this year moves last year, yet then he also missed. You want to talk about roster management. I watched his team because he was the one I was trying to catch for the playoff spot that I had a long shot on. Pat had guys that were like out with COVID or a team was suspended for a week and they weren't top players they were middling guys like you know like fringe roster players and he and kept he them con- and he continued to hold on to them for the whole week while he's dropping categories against me while i'm trying to catch him it's like just drop these guys like i was watching it just like it was insane he completely mismanaged i should have never been able to catch him with such little time i had even though i had a better team i thought but he he allowed all of that is all yep. i'm gonna make sure i bring up Last year was a fire drill. Like if somebody was yeah. going to be out for a week, like I'm drop sorry, them, move drop on. Them. Yeah. yeah. And, and it I was need kind a of warm fun. body. It was kind of fun to manage in a way. It's like, you know what? Screw it. Like you need to go, you know? Like, yeah. But Oh, Pat. Pat did not, Pat did not understand that it was a fire drill at all. I will, I will give Pat a little bit of credit. I probably like Joey Gallo a little bit more than the and average. I do think, I think you do. And I, so that's getting into his team. I think that's one of the key things to talk about. You, you, uh, you can go into Gallo. I think you like Gallo a lot more than I do going forward. See, I think Gallo, again, talking about the bell curve, like if there is a year that Bato, that Gallo bats 245, 250, like he's just a top 
25 player. Like he's just got so much power and he he walks a fair bit too. So like his OPS could like easily, you know, be above 900 for the year. If he can get one of those BABIP type years where he bats 250. and, And my thing is I, I, it's, it's probably a lazy comparison, but I think it's accurate. He's kind of like Chris Davis, where it's like Chris Davis had a, you know, a ridiculous year that drove Perry to a championship where he managed to bat, you know, 260 or 270 and crush 50 home runs and have a great year and all of that. And then he had a couple other really good years that were useful, which I owned him for. But my thing of Gallo is I am kind of convinced we have already seen Pete Gallo and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I I'm worried that he is going to age like Davis, that even though he's only 27 right now, I mean, this is a guy that has, let me just read off his batting averages from the last four years, 209, 206, 253, 181, obviously in the shortened sample. And the 253 season happened in a, although it was a full MLB season, he was hurt. So he only played 70 games. Uh, a kind of shorter sample. So I think that's the outlier, so to speak. This guy, if you just look at the data, doesn't look like he can bat, you know, a, a usable 240, 250. Now, like you said, if you can get that for one year, then he's going to be super valuable. But you're, you're, to me, that's just really searching for lightning in a bottle. And I think, you know, the Chris Davis comparison is probably pretty good. I think he's just power Billy Hamilton. Like if Billy Hamilton had hit 270 one year, like he was going to steal, you know, 78 yeah. bags. But like he just didn't, so they couldn't play him. Like, yeah, I don't know if Gallo's to the point where they can't play him anymore. Like, I've got the projection system at like two thirteen, and that still has him in the top one hundred in terms of value. Like, just because of his power and his on base, and and to give him credit, he is a good enough of a defender to keep playing too. So, right. and the fact that we have OPS, like again, average, it, it it does help him because like he's going to have an OPS probably over eight hundred, even batting two thirteen, two fifteen. So that like, that's not bad. Some of these guys are coming in with OPSs of 700. So he definitely hurts you in that one category and like he destroys you, but it it is exactly. It's just kind of one of those things. It's like, you know, Pat's going to have that week where Joey Gallo hits seven home runs and it crushes things. And then he's going to have those other weeks that Gallo goes, you know, one for 25 and just totally sinks his team is, is kind of the thing, but Pat, Pat will love him no matter what. Yeah. So Yelich, like, is he going to be a top three player like he was? Is he top 10, top 15? Like, that's another thing. I So there, there's a couple different ways to break Pat's team down. I think I think Yelich and JD are in the same conversation of, I think they're guys who are still going to be very, very good players, but I think we've already seen their peak as top 10 players, which is what drove Pat's team, not last year, but the year before and all that, what made Pat a real competitor uh, so I, I, I just, I don't know if we, that's my big question. I mean, you know, Yelich is a good enough of a player. I don't know if we're going to see a top 10 player out of Yelich again, like we did, you know, the two or three years ago, so to speak. Yeah. Obviously last year was a down year for him. And then as he gets older, like what made him a top three or to five player was the fact that he stole bases. Like if you, and like if, I said, the, the he switch goes off quickly. Yep. Yeah. So like looking at Pat's uh, stolen bases, like for the five offensive keepers that he has, like Yelich is the only one projected for double digits because Pat has so many middle infield guys like Mustakis and Hap and Gal or not Gallo, but like that are just power hitters. And he's just ignoring average. He's ignoring stolen bases. And like, that's pretty dangerous to just give up two categories right yeah. from the get go. Uh, no, and- I agree. And, and I think on the M- Mustakis and Hap 
segment of his keeper set. I think those are guys, like you were saying about Bill, they're guys that you would like to draft in the first round or nice to have on your team at the end. But it's just like they are just kind of fillers at the end of his keeper set. Yeah, Moustakis is a guy that should go in the top three rounds uh, every yeah. year, but like probably not a keeper. Hap should probably be the same way. So yeah, he, he's got a pretty bad low end uh, keeper yeah. set. The only last thing I'll, I'll say, I mean, I, I love Castillo. Yep. Uh, I, obviously, Darvish was, it's so weird to value Darvish because Darvish has gone from elite keeper to suddenly looks like he's lost to back to being elite keeper pitcher type and it's like, I wonder, you know, are we going to get the Darvish that we got last year? Last year, he was phenomenal. Right. I mean, he's uh, 34 also. So like, he yeah, doesn't yeah, have many more of those up and downs before. Like, you just stay down. You're dead. Ex- exactly. Like, and I, and I would have, you know, I watched him pitch a couple of years ago, uh, you know, against, um, what was it, against the Astros when he got traded to the Dodgers. And I was like, oh yeah, he's done. He's dead in the World Series. And then he came back and bounced back. But you're right. It's like, how many times can you bounce back? And then obviously you go down to, you know, another one of my favorites of his that he has a pitcher, Lance McCullers. It's always, okay, how many innings are you getting from him? I, I think I think McCullers kind of probably is what he is at this point. Yeah. I think Pat's worst enemy is always himself. Uh, I think oh, his, yeah, definitely. His rookies uh, right now, now we, show that. We do, but we do have to add in, if Pat makes what we would call the right decision, he's going to add Randy Rosarina in the rookie draft. So that's a nice power speed guy you would think to add in to that. Uh, but that's if he doesn't, you know, hold on and wait for rocker or whatever, you know, and he may, he may. Yeah, he may, he may, no, no, he may. <laughs> and I'll also say to be fair to Pat, and this is sad to admit, but like we shit on Pat a lot, but out of the 14 managers, I think Pat is like close to being in the top half. Like he's yeah, like, he's like six, seven, eight for me. He, he does a lot of research and I think he knows he he's knowledgeable about what he's doing, but he also, like you just said before that he's his own worst enemy. He outthinks himself. Like we'll, we'll get to it in a second, but like Housky and Pat's results are pretty similar. Like I know everyone likes <laughs> Housky, but like he's a more yeah, likable yeah. guy, but like, it's not too far off. And that's kind of sad. Like for all the yeah, shit we no, give I, Pat, like. He's, he's okay at this. Like he could be I think, better. I think, I think it's just that Pat talks down to the rest of us. Right. Even though he hasn't won anything. Halski understands he hasn't won anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anything more on Pat? No, I think, I think that covers it. I, I knew we were going to do a lot of time on him. So I, I, I said all I wanted to say. Check out the next episode of Talking Chalk part two of our 2021 pre-draft preview, where we review the next four teams, start getting into some contenders, and figure out where one of our hosts ranks this season.